0: Last week we started a new sermon series based on the book of Ruth, and uh, last week's title was Getting a Grip on Difficult Situations, and this week we'll look at part two of the message. And I hope that you took time this week to read through the short book and to familiarize yourself with the story. As we started the study last week, we saw that in Ruth chapter one, Elimelech and Naomi made three costly mistakes. The first mistake that we observed was that Elimelech and Naomi ran from their difficult situation. Today we'll observe Naomi's second mistake which was that she tried to cover her sin. So if you would follow along as I begin to read from Ruth chapter 1 beginning with verse 6 and going down through verse 16 or 18. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord... May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I... Thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, "Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God." Small g. Following your sister-in-law, or follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I ask as we look at your word this morning, I ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I ask, God, that you would help us to learn those lessons, Lord, that we need to apply to our hearts and our lives. Lord, may it be more than just a story, but something, Lord, that would change our lives in learning how to deal with sin from day to day. Learning how to deal with difficult situations from day to day. Lord, that we might have the desire to be and to respond as you would have us to be and to respond. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we mentioned that people run from difficult situations for many reasons. And we saw in the first several verses that there was a major difficult situation that they were facing. Uh, there was famine, there was no king that, that was ruling in the land. And Elimelech and Naomi made their first mistake of running from that difficult situation. And we noted five reasons why people often run from difficult situations. It's, first of all, a faith problem. First and foremost, primarily, it's a faith problem. They don't trust God as they ought. And we find ourselves many times in that same circumstance that we think we can handle it better. We think we have a better solution, and therefore we don't trust God as we ought. Well, then there's a fear problem. I'm afraid of what's going to take place. If I stay here, if I don't do this or if I don't do that, I, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. So therefore, I'm just going to not deal with the difficult situation. Then sometimes there's a failure problem. You know, I failed at this in the past. Uh, I'll probably fail again, so I just, I just want to deal with it. I want to kind of stick my head in the sand. I want to just kind of pretend it's not there. You know, just kind of let the fast failures just kind of be what it is and, you know, just not deal with it. And then sometimes it's a frustra- a focus problem. They're they're. they're The direction ought to be right here, but instead they're looking over here or over here or even back there because that's what they know to do. And their focus is not where it needs to be on God. And then finally we said it could constantly be a frustration problem. And I think sometimes that's where we find ourselves, that we're frustrated from the circumstances. And I, I know that's where I find myself a lot. I'm frustrated with the circumstances because I can't control it. That's what we as men do. We try to control circumstances. And when we can't control it, we get frustrated by it. And if Limelech and Naomi were honest, they're frustrated because the food's not there, nobody's ruling the land, and we got to fix it. And they can't fix it, so they run from it. So all these things really, as I said, first and foremost, are a faith issue. Either God's in control or He's not. Either I trust Him to do what's best or I won't. There's nothing in the middle. It may distract in one of these other areas... But first and foremost, it is primarily a faith problem. So today from the story, we see there are at least three means of dealing with these difficult situations. We know how we sometimes respond, but here's three examples that we see from Scripture and how these three widows responded to the difficult situations. And each one of the three widows modeled one of these three means. The first means of handling difficult situations is to simply try to cover it up which was the second mistake that Naomi made. She tried to cover up her sin. And we're going to find out from Scripture that that never never works. The more you try to cover your sin, the more we're going to realize that nothing is really ever hidden from God. So we see that some people try to simply cover it. The second means of dealing with difficult situations is trying to walk away from it. Just pretend it's not there. Just kind of not deal with it and uh, kind of stick my head in the sand and bury it there, and just kind of I'm just going to kind of walk away, kind of start a new chapter in my life, and just kind of not deal with it. And then the third means of dealing with difficult situations that we see in the text is to accept it as being from God. So let's examine these three means in greater detail. First of all, Naomi. And in each of these three widows, we want to look at a setting and a challenge. The setting here is we find in verses 6 through 9. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to His people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. So we see here in these situations here, Naomi prepares to leave Moab with her two daughters-in-law, but remember, they left Judah. And what was interesting about that is that everybody goes through difficult times. Everybody goes through periods in their life where things are really difficult. So they're facing this time of difficulty. There's famine in the land. There's no king rule in the land. It's kind of chaotic. It's kind of dark times that they're living in. But remember, this was the land of Judah. Remember what we found, found out scripturally, that the land of Judah was a land of fruitful bread. There may have been a difficult time there, But what they needed to do was to stay faithful to God, to continue trusting God, and God would show up. God would work. But they left the land of Judah, the fruitful place of bread. And her sin, you remember, was that she and Elimelech chose to leave Judah because things had gotten too difficult for them. So they ran straight to Moab, rather than to exercise faith and trust in God to provide. And remember the land of Moab. They were sworn enemies of God. He said none of them, even to the 10th generation, are going to ever prosper. So God was not in favor of them running from Him to the land of Moab. So, number two, Naomi plans to cover up her sin by encouraging her two daughters-in-law to go back to their home. As we look at the scenario here, you say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, she's here in in Moab. Her husband has died. Her Her sons have died. I mean, she has nothing there, so there's nobody to take care of her. So now she's going to go back to Judah. That's the very sin. She's trying to cover up the fact that she had left God's fruitful land of bread and gone to a land of sinfulness. But here's the deal. Naomi thought she could then return to almost the way that she left. Minus her husband, minus her sons. But, I mean, in going back, no one would even know that she even had two daughters-in-law in this wicked land. I mean, if I just encourage the daughters to go back, you know, to stay here, to go back to their families, to possibly remarry, to start new families, to have new kids, and just kind of pretend this chapter never really happened, then I can go back with my head held high and I can pretend as if this chapter in my life never really happened and no one else will be any of the wiser. She was trying to cover her tracks and go back to Judah because God was providing some food for some people there. So, she thought she could pretend that this chapter didn't take place. She could go back and seek a new, fresh start. But here's the problem. Naomi still hadn't learned her lesson. Notice why she was going back to Judah. It wasn't because she left a land of fruitful bread. It wasn't because Moab was such a wonderful place. And she just, you know, a terrible place that she wanted to get out of it. She was not going back in a spirit of repentance or for, or, or seeking God's forgiveness or even returning back to the one true God. She was going back for one reason. Food. Food. It wasn't going back to, hey, I need to get back right with God. I need to get back to the true and living God. I'm going back for food. And I'm going to go back, hopefully, leaving my daughter-in-laws behind and nobody will ever know that I went to that wicked place and now I'm returning. She was trying to destroy all the evidence of the sinful decisions that she had made. However, we do read in Scripture of her bitterness. She never repented. Scripture doesn't speak anywhere about her repentance. But we do read of her bitterness. In fact, not only had she become bitter, she even began to blame God for her circumstances. How often do we hear circumstances like this in people's lives around us? Someone, does something, someone goes through a difficult time, and you know, you have, and isn't just like us as, as simple American people, specifically? When our world gets rocked, when things don't go as we expect them to go, we have to simply find somebody or something to pin it on. We like to blame shift. We like to justify why we feel this way. It's always somebody else's something else's fault. And here Naomi, this is no different here. In fact, she says, verse eleven, but Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? I am I able to have more sons. No, I'm not going to do that. I mean, she's just looking at it, she goes, God has dealt better with me. I mean, it's his fault. Well, I wonder if we could ever consider the consequences of the choices we make before we make the decision. Galatians 6 reminds us that Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Every choice has consequences. But the problem is we don't always enjoy the consequences. That's why we need to first look to God for the decision-making process. So the setting with Naomi is that she's preparing to go back. They're starting to go back. They're in the process of going back with, his, with her two daughters-in-laws. And she all of a sudden comes up with this brilliant idea. You guys stay here. I'll continue on without you. I'll try to cover my sin. Here's the challenge. If you would, take your Bibles and turn just over. Keep your finger there in Ruth. But turn over a few chapters to the book of Proverbs. Psalms and then Proverbs Now, I want you to understand this principle that we find in Scripture. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, our translations will use a different word, but they all mean the same thing. But here's the verse The one who conceals, the one who hides, the one who puts away their sin will not prosper. We can't expect to try not deal with sin and expect God to bless us at the same time. See, blessing and sinfulness doesn't come at the same time. It says, he that hides or conceals his sins will not prosper. So if Naomi thinks for a moment that she's going to go away and pretend this chapter of her life never happens, just kind of kind of put it in the background and then move forward as if it never happened, that she's going to somehow have God's blessing. Not going to happen. And it's not going to happen in our lives either. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, you've uh, heard the phrase before, I'm sure from the time you were just a little kid, be sure your sins will find you out. Isn't that amazing? In verse 23 in chapter uh, 32 it says this, But if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord and be sure your sin will catch up with you. You can't hide your life. You cannot hide your decisions. You cannot hide your actions from the almighty seeing eye of God. So the challenge is to deal with the sin. Naomi tried to cover it. Now, let me just take for a moment, and I'm not going to read through the entire passages of these next four examples, but let me just bring them to your uh, attention just for a moment. How to try... Uh, how did it affect Achan when he tried to uh, hide it and conceal his sin? We find in Joshua chapter 7, beginning of verse 16 and going down through the verse 26, that Achan saw these items, you know, the wedge of gold and the garment and, and these things. And he said, man, I would like to have that. And if I just take them, I can hide them underneath the edge of my tent. Nobody will be the wiser. And when this thing is all over and we get packed up and going home... Man, it's going to be great. I'm going to go back with this gold. I'm going to be richer. I'm going to be better for it. It's going to help my family. How did that get him? Yeah. God says, "Ah, wait a minute. Uh, His sin affected an entire nation. Uh, The president of Northland used to always say, nobody sins in a vacuum. When we sin, it affects those around us. Aikens sin certainly affected those around him, though he tried to hide it. Uh, think for a moment in the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 as he pursues Bathsheba, who is bathing on the rooftop. Uh, and, and think through this story. How did David try to hide that sin? Well, you know, he goes and gets Bathsheba, has her sent, sent back to him, and they do their thing. She conceives and, and bears, bears a child. And uh, so let's, uh, I'll tell you what, what can I do? I, I, I got it. We'll go ahead and send Uriah to, you know, to come home to get drunk to spend some time with his wife, we will try to make it look like it's all just you know part a natural, uh, natural part of life. And, and the bottom line is, Uriah was a man of character. And he didn't give in to what he knew he should have done. His heart was on the battlefield with his comrades. Well, that didn't work. So let me, as we said last week, remember one sinful decision often leads to a second sinful decision and oftentimes leads to further sinful decisions. So when this sinful decision to have Uriah come home, get drunk, and to spend time with his wife and kind of pretend the fact that she got pregnant by David, that didn't work, so here, we're going to send him to the front lines. One sinful decision led to another sinful decision. So David ultimately tries to hide his sin by having Uriah killed. problem is, he didn't hide that decision from God. And God knew. And he had to deal with it. How about in the case of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 7? As they present, I mean, could they hide the fact? And they are trying to imply that we have so much money, and we're giving this money to the church or to God's use and to God's work. The only problem is they knew the God knew the motives and the intent of their heart as they presented it. You can't hide from God. You cannot hide your circumstances from God. Or how about in the life of Cain? Cain, where is your brother? Well, how am I supposed to know where my brother is? Well, the problem is that God knew where your brother was. And His blood was crying out from the ground. In Genesis chapter 4. And over and over we see example after example throughout the Scriptures that men oftentimes try to hide their sin and nothing is hidden from God. In fact, I want you to turn your Bibles just for a moment to a couple of passages. We looked at a couple of these at men's Bible study here the other night. But Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. He said, can man, does man actually think he can hide himself? Whoa, come on now. Does man actually, a rhetorical question, does man actually think he can hide himself? Well, no, he can't. But they certainly try. Uh, Psalm 139. Another familiar passage uh, about God's omnipresence and and the fact of where He resides. In Psalm 139, just a couple of those verses, verses 3-7. through It says, verse 3, You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, You know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed Your hand on me. The extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live in the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, no matter where you go on this earth, He said, God is there. In His eyes, He was taking place. How about in Job? Right before the book of Psalms there, in Job... Chapter 34 and verse 21 reminds us of this principle. For his eyes watch over a man's ways and he observes all his steps. Is that not ultimate accountability for the child of God? That God observes all our ways and knows our every step. Wow! One more. In 1 Corinthians. Over in the New Testament here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 5 says, Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart, And then praise will come to each one from God. God says even your intentions will be revealed. Not only your actions, but why you did those things will be revealed. Listen, in this life, we can hide a lot of things from our spouse. We can hide things from our children. We can hide things from our employer. We can hide things from our friends, but you will never hide anything from God, even your intentions. It's the challenge here. Be honest. Naomi's trying to leave this chapter of her life behind her so she doesn't have to deal with it. It would just be a whole lot easier if you two women would just stay here, I can go back to Judah, I can get the food that I want, and I can not have to tell stories over and over and over again about what took place back there in Moab. I can just kind of come over here and have a new fresh start, and nobody will be the wiser. Let's just kind of leave this, this story behind us. Let's just cover the sin with one wrong decision after another wrong decision. But then we come to or- Orpah. Uh, so back in Ruth chapter 1, the first daughter-in-law, Orpah. You know, at first, Orpah seems like she's, all oh, she's heartbroken. Let, let, let's look at this story here, part of the story, verses 9 and 10. No, they said to her, will we go with you to your people? We will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return. But what they do? They just wept loud. Boy, and their heart was touched. I mean, their heart chain was yanked a little bit. And they're crying, we don't want to leave you. Remember, they had started to go with them on the journey. Or they had started to leave towards Judah. So Orpah was weeping loudly. And then Orpah kissed Naomi and then did what? Returned back to Moab. You see, she started out going back to Judah with Naomi. But then she said, no, I'll go back too. And Naomi reminds Ruth, well, your sister has gone. Why don't you join her? She decided to go back. What's the challenge here? Don't be indecisive. Don't be indecisive. Make up your mind that you're going to do what's right. Um, Verse 10, no, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. I'm going to go with you. Naomi, you have nothing to worry about. We, me and Ruth, we're going with you. We're going with you. Well, maybe not. I'm going to go this way. Make up your mind to do what's right. This was an opportunity for Orpah to leave Moab had they followed through. It was an opportunity to put that part of their life behind them. The land of wickedness. The land of unrighteousness. The land of false idols and false gods. It was an opportunity to put it behind. I think I'll go back to it. And she returned, as Naomi reminded Ruth. Don't be indecisive. You know, there are a couple people in Scripture who are just concrete in their decision-making process. And I think we can really learn from them. Let's give you two examples. We'll not look at the Scriptures for time's sake. Remember Daniel? Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. I love this. But Daniel what? Purposed in his heart. He determined in his heart. He resolved in his heart. Depending on what translation you're looking at. He purposed. He determined. He resolved in his heart not to defile himself. Wait a minute. If I just go with the king and kind of go with the flow, I can have the best food. I can have the, I mean, this is steak, prime rib. I mean, come on. This is, you know, seafood. I mean, this is the king's castle here. I mean, let's just, come on, let's just go with the flow, right? No. Daniel knew what was right. And I believe that Naomi knew what was right. Most of the time when we do what's wrong, we know what is right. But we choose not to do it at times. Daniel purposed in his heart, not to defile himself. So when the the temptation comes, the decision's already made. There's another man who did something similar. And his name was Job. Remember Job? It says in Job chapter 31 verse 1 that Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon a woman in that way. So when the temptation comes, the decision was already made. I don't have to sit here and wonder whether or not I'm going to give in to this temptation. My decision is already made in advance. And what Naomi was trying to encourage Orpah to do was to go back. And what Orpah should have done is, you know what, I've made up my mind. I'm going. But then she wish-washed and she went back and forth and decided to go back to what she knew was convenient, her idols, her false gods. So don't be indecisive. And number two, don't be afraid of facing the difficult situations. Once again, I won't take the time, but remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, from the middle of the chapter to the end of the chapter, you find the story of Elijah. I I would just think just for a moment, and it's just me kind of looking as an outsider looking in, that that was kind of a difficult situation Elijah found himself in with 400 prophets of Baal. There was a bunch of them in one of him. You know. Uh, There's a lot of people there. (laughs) And I'm sure Elijah had some fear because we find out later that he says, well, it's just me and... No, it wasn't just him. It was him and God, we find out, and others. But here it is. He called out fire from heaven and God showed up. He faced the difficult situation rather than running from it. You see, I find in my own life that when I face the difficult situation, God shows up. You ever seen that? That when you don't run from it, you don't hide it, you don't try to pretend it's not there. You remember, we've said this over and over through different messages. Is God powerful or is he not? Amen. He is. We know that. And if God didn't want this difficulty to come into your life, he could have avoided your life. But if he allows it, there's a reason for it. Don't be afraid of the difficult situations. God's in control of these things. Or Numbers chapter 13, the 12 spies. Ten were bad, two were good. They had an opportunity to see God's at hand at work, as we said before. God had already determined the outcome. Face the difficulty. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are walled cities. Yes, it may be difficult. But the outcome is already determined. There was quite a challenge with Orpah. Do I go? I mean, my heart wants to go, but I kind of want to stay here. She didn't want any more difficulty. See, if I go back, then I've got to give explanation. Why am I here? But in choosing to go back, Orpah was making a decision to go back to her idols, back to her false gods, back to her old way of doing things. Let me just say this. When God works in our life and brings us to the point of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't go back. Don't go back. You always go forward. Forgetting those things which are behind, you press toward the mark. You keep going forward. That's what God wants of us. Don't waller in the sin. Don't go back to what you think is better. Keep moving forward. So we find in the life of Naomi a setting of trying to hide and cover her sin. We find in the life of Orpah, a life of weeping and then kissing and then returning back to her sinfulness. But then you breathe a breath of fresh air when you look at what Ruth was. So look at the setting of Ruth, verse 14. Again, they wept loudly Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She clung to her. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. She said, don't do it. You can speak to the hand. (laughs) I'm Going with you. My decision is made. Ruth wept, but then she clung. You see, it wasn't just outward action. I believe that Ruth had developed a love for Naomi. Ruth put her feet to her we or put feet to her words. Actions speak louder than words. You see, Orpah said, "Yeah, we're going to go with you too," but then she ended up going back this way. Ruth said, "We're going to go with you and stayed the course." So what's the challenge here? Trust God. Trust God. You see, what if it's really hard? Trust God. What if I can't see what's coming around the corner? Trust God. You say, "Well if it's going to be really hard, trust God. Face the trial. God's in control. Face the trial. Well, how do you, how do you know that? Well, because God's in control. How do I know that? Romans eight twenty eight says, "For all things work together for good to them that what love God and are called according to His purpose." Do I trust God enough to be in control of this situation? Is my faith in Him or is it in myself? And that's a that's a question only you and God know the answer to. Are you trusting or are you trying to control? See, if you're trying to control it, you're going to walk by sight rather than faith and you're going to do what you think is best. If God's in control, you're going to say, I don't know what comes up, God, but I'm going. I'm on board. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just a reminder here. Look at verse 17. For our momentary light affliction... Wait a minute. I don't like those. Not at all. Not even a little bit. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of what? Glory. (laughs) Wait a minute. This affliction is going to cause glory... But what happens between affliction and glory? Probably a lot of pain. But remember, the pain is, what's he say? Momentary. So let's look at the verse. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory, so we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. Question. If you live 100 years on this life, how long is that in comparison to eternity? Let me tell you. It's a little little speck on the time frame of eternity. And if we live in this life with pain for a few years, it's a very momentary few years. If we live with difficulty and hardship and trial for a few years... Remember, this is temporary. Eternity is forever with God. Anything that we can face in this life is but for a moment to produce an eternal weight of glory. This is not going to last. As good as it may be for some, it's not going to last. As bad as it may be for others, it's not going to last. Isn't that awesome? It's just for a moment. But sometimes we live as though it's going to be forever. What's the difference? It's our focus. If we're focused on the here and the now rather than the later, yeah, it's hard to bear. But when you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, I can keep going forward. Isn't that awesome? Back just a couple pages in chapter one, Second Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 5. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction. I mean, not just some of them. (laughs) Um, It says all. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So he says there's a purpose for it, and even going through it, you can help others who are going through it. And you know what I find in our own lives that takes our focus off the deal, the, situ, the difficult situations that we're in? Help someone else. Don't be self-centered. Don't be viewing everything that man, we can get in such an attitude that everything is bad for me. I have found in my life that as bad as it may be for me, there's a whole lot of other people that have a whole lot worse. Let's help them. Then verse five says, "For as the suffering of Christ over, for as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ, our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it is your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that as you share in the suffering, so you will share in the comfort. There's a reason. God's in control. But what's my focus? You know, I think of... Uh, Ruth, as she was going through this, she said, my mind is made up. No matter what you say, it's not going to change my mind. So you might as well just stop, you know, arguing. Don't try to persuade me. I'm going this direction. She took the situation. She said, I'm going to determine to trust God. I'm going to face the trial. And we're going to face it together. I think of someone like Joseph who I mean, there, there's a man whose life I really want, right? I mean, I mean, think about it. He has such a wonderful, loving, tender, compassionate relationship with all of his brothers that, I mean, I mean, they're so inseparable. They dug a pit and stuck him in it. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Oh God, thank you for being in control. I'm in a pit. Woo! Nobody enjoys those things. Then something better comes along. Oh, here's a caravan. Let's sell them. Let's not just. Hey, guy, I got an idea. Let's not kill them. Let's sell them. Let's make some money off this. Sold into slavery, prison. Through it all, Joseph remained faithful and obedient to God. I think if anyone, humanly speaking, had a reason to be ticked off, it could have been Joseph. Don't you agree? I mean, I have this wonderful relationship with my dad, and my brothers hate me for it. Not to mention those little dreams he had that kind of irritated his brothers. I don't think I would have shared those things. Um, by the way, brothers, you're going to be bowing down to me, just get used to it. I don't think I would have shared those things. But if anyone had a right, a good reason to, if we want to call it from a human perspective, to be ticked off. I think it might have been Joseph. But here's the thing we find that through all the years of Joseph's life, every negative thing that happened, he took it as part of God's perfect plan for his life. Because it says in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 50, and I believe it's verse 19, what you meant for evil. God meant it for good. What was the difference? I mean, how could he face these difficult circumstances and say, well, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. His focus was on trusting and obeying God. Every circumstance that we find ourselves in, it's an opportunity for God to work. It's an opportunity for us to make a decision to trust him and him alone. I'll close by kind of recapping the story here for today. Three widows respond three different ways. First widow is Naomi. She takes the difficult situation and the sinful decisions she had made and tries to what? Cover it up. Orpa takes the difficult situation and rather than being committed to doing what she said she would do, she becomes indecisive and wishy-washy and returns to her homeland, and to her gods. Tries to pretend, uh, I don't want to deal with that. And then there's Ruth, the third widow, who says, I'm going to face the trial and trust God through it. Three widows, three different responses. How would you respond? How have you responded to situations in your life? And then how does God want you to respond in future situations?